Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to episode 522 with my guest, Katie Osborne. I am Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the bullshit. All the bullshit. Inner, outer, in another galaxy. I wonder how much bullshit there is in other galaxies. <laughs> there, there, we have to be at a high point, though, for uh, bullshit if we're going to put it on a curve. God, it's been it's been crazy, really crazy lately. It's uh, I got some news Tuesday that I debated whether or not to share it, but uh, I figured I would because I'm I'm pretty much an open book on the the podcast. But I, I mentioned over the last year or so that I've been having issues with my knees and et cetera, et cetera. Um, well, I tested positive for rheumatoid arthritis, which I didn't know a whole lot about. But when I looked it up, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of, of like old people and their fingers are going like nine different ways. That's that's rheumatoid arthritis. And that's kind of the worst case um, scenario. But uh, it is a progressive uh, illness, and it's an autoimmune disease where your body attacks your joints, and it and it slowly destroys, or at least tries to destroy your joints. And uh, so, you know, when I when I saw that test result, my stomach dropped, and um, it, uh, you know, I'm I'm seeing a rheumatologist and. They're going to take an MRI of both of my knees before we decide on a a plan of treatment. Uh, And I go back and forth between being sad and scared and feeling optimistic and hopeful. And I guess that's kind of how I am in in life anyway. 
but I have been having a little more trouble sleeping in. Uh, it used to be that once I fell asleep, you know, I could I could sleep for 12 hours without needing to get up. But lately, I've been my eyes have been popping open after about six hours of sleep, and I have trouble falling back asleep because my mind starts going over you know, what this could look like in the future. And, you know, and if I do find a thought to kind of put myself at ease, then I start thinking about civil war. And uh, it, it's, it's, a uh, everybody is struggling. Everybody, I think, has, has something. So I just wanted to share that with you. And um, yeah, that's, that's that. Let's get to some surveys. This is from the Body Shame Survey. This is filled out by Sabrina. And uh, what do you like or dislike about your body and why? Uh, she writes, I hate my legs. They're not toned enough. I hate my butt. It's too small. I hate my breasts. They're too small. I hate my crooked teeth. I hate my squishy belly. I love my eyes. They're pretty in the sun. I love my arms because I have some pretty cool tats. And I love my big hair that can't be tamed. I love those. I don't know if you guys have ever been to the circus and seen uh, the hairdresser try to tame the big hair in the cage, but oh, the tension in the audience when they open that cage up and the hairdresser with the chair in front of them tries to corner that big hair and whip it into shape. It is... This is a struggle in a sentence filled out by a guy who calls him Fates, comma, the. And uh, he struggles with a, a host of issues. And I wanted to share this snapshot from his life. He writes, every night I go to bed telling myself, tomorrow I'll get up early, go for a run, look for work, and approach the day with enthusiasm and vigor. Every day I wake up, drink a pot of coffee, sit and plan what I should do during the day, and never move beyond that point. I've been trying to consume more uplifting media instead of doom scrolling. Oh, I love that word. And focusing on the negative. But honestly, I don't notice much of a connection between the emotional tone of what I watch and listen to and how I feel. My brother from another mother. <laughs> oh, man. Buddy, I feel you. I think a lot of people listening feel you know that just that paralysis i don't know if it's perfectionism uh, a fear of responsibility depression who knows but it is overwhelming and it's guilt and shame inducing and buddy i just want to let you know you are you are not alone man you are not alone this is from the love survey filled out by fiefen girl and she writes uh I love that tired feeling after a day of swimming in a river. My head hits the pillows and I'm asleep. I love when my cat curls up next to my legs and decides to, quote, wash me with her tongue. It's rough and almost hurts, but I keep letting her do it because she's loving on me and I want to give her that sense of closeness. I love when my husband and I can have, quote, old friend conversations on the phone. I love it when I randomly look up at the sky and it's doing something spectacular that I've never seen before. I love when I quietly say to myself, thanks, Paul, you're not alone either at the end of a podcast episode. Oh, I love the, uh, I just love that. 
And I love the idea of somebody saying that. Thank you for those. This is from the Body Shame Survey, <clears throat> filled out by Happy Labias. And she writes, um, Growing up, I used to, and still do, watch a lot of porn. And growing up, I feel like I could never compare. Uh, this was before I learned how unrealistic porn stars' bodies were, uh, as I was in my teens and early 20s. I hated my labia. I felt like my labia protruded more than other women. While it didn't stop me from sleeping with guys or girls, no one ever seemed to have an issue with it, but the more I touched myself, the more I hated my labia. I was aware of the idea that a woman with a protruding labia had 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 sex with a lot of men. And to focus there, the idea, not the, the reality. As well as this, uh, it would feel uncomfortable when I would sit upright. And as time went on, I became more bothered. I got up the courage to make an appointment with a plastic surgeon and ended up paying 7000 Australian dollars to have a labiaplasty. I feel a lot more comfortable with my lady bits. While I am in a committed relationship since my surgery, I wish I was this happy with my labia whilst I had the opportunity to sleep around. Now that I have had it done, I have since been sexually involved with more women and come to realize that protruding labias are just as sexy as tucked-in vaginas. Thank you for that. And shout out to the people in Australia. This is a happy moment filled out by uh, a guy who calls himself Stud McMuffin. And he writes, Recently I decided to clean out my garage so I could actually park in it for a change. I had our old Christmas tree in there, so I put it together, took a photo, and posted it for free on Facebook Marketplace. A few minutes later, a guy messaged me that he would love to have it and he could pick it up as soon as he got off work at Red Lobster. I jokingly replied that I would trade him the tree for a bag of their Cheddar Bay biscuits. About an hour later, he shows up at my door with a warm bag of biscuits. Not only did I score a tasty treat and help clear out my garbage or my garage, but he texted me that night with a picture of the tree all decorated, and he said his girls were so excited when they came over and saw it. I love that. I love that. Uh, any comments to make the podcast better? Uh, promote the forums more. They're a great place, but could use more active participants. Thank you for reminding me of that. And you can reach the forums by going to metalpod.com and then look for the link on there the, on the, from the drop-down menu that says forum. And uh, a shout out to Manny Mo who keeps the forum running smoothly. I, I essentially don't have much at all to do with the forum other than setting up uh, topics. Uh, Manny keeps it running. He keeps the spammers out of there. And I'm so, so grateful for him. This is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by a guy who calls himself, I have to be at work in four hours. Here's to going to bed early. About his ADD, he writes, I'm brilliant in two seconds in a way that takes scholars hours. At two minutes, I've forgotten what I was talking about, and by the time I sit down to write it all down and make something of my fleeting genius, I can barely keep my eyes on the page. Maybe I should open 16 tabs all at once and ask Google all the questions about the world I've thought of in the last minute. But his anxiety, like I'm the only one following the plot of a horror movie, wondering why everybody else is uh, why everybody else watching is so calm. It must be because they aren't paying any attention. 
about his love addiction. Is there any magic greater than falling in love with someone new? Didn't think so. I should do this every week. About his codependency. No, you go first. The part I say out loud. The part I don't say out loud. So I can quickly assess what you want and then quickly mold a convincing version of myself that lines up. About the pandemic. It's like someone took every great piece of poetry ever written and used it as a guide for what to take away from the world. Wow. That is poetic. Poetic. And then a, a snapshot of his life. Lying to my wife that I have to work out of town, paying too much money to spend a weekend in a fancy Airbnb. Um, I paid too much for because I met a girl last week and was so excited I couldn't think about anything else. I lied to her and said my work just so happens to be paying for a downtown hotel. Uh, that's his wife he's talking about. This is not the first time something like this has happened, but every time I convince myself it is worth risking everything for... She tells me what kind of wine I should have on hand, and I look at takeout options based on her preferences. She was due at 8. It's 3 a.m. She never called or responded to my multiple texts. I'm drinking the wine alone, wondering what the hell possessed me to leave my, quote, happy home in the middle of a pandemic to spend money I don't have on such a flimsy and stupid thing. Beyond depressed, ashamed of myself, naked and alone and so, so lonely. Then she messages me, saying, Sorry, something came up and her phone died. Can we try again next weekend? I immediately begin making up another lie to tell my wife and browsing hotels in a different part of town. It was all worth it. Buddy, it sounds like you are caught in a spiral of addiction, man, and I just want to let you know that there is help if you decide to get it because... It is, you're, you are, I, I don't want to preach. I don't want to preach. I, I damaged, when I was married, I damaged my marriage. And I so regret uh, the pain that I caused. And I wished I would have gotten help sooner. I went about 11 years ago and got help. And I've been going since then every week. And it has changed my life. It has changed my life. And I just want to put that out there, man. Uh, one of our sponsors for today, as always, is BetterHelp.com Online Counseling. That's BetterHelp.com. If you're interested in trying it, go to BetterHelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know you came from the podcast. And uh, they have a pool of great counselors with a variety of experiences to, to choose from. Uh, occasionally, uh, somebody will uh, be looking for a therapist there and they won't have somebody who they feel has the expertise needed for somebody's particular situation and I love that they're honest uh, about that and um, they say that it would be better match if you could find an expert in your your area but um, as I said they're they're licensed in all 50 states and I've been using them for a couple of years and I have a great relationship with my therapist Donna. She's knowledgeable and wise and I feel safe under uh, under her guidance. So uh, if you want to know more go to betterhelp.com/mental fill out a questionnaire and then you can experience a free week of counseling to see if it's your thing. 
All right, one more thing. Um, actually, two more things. This is from the Body Shame Survey. And uh, Ari writes, I never thought I would recover from anorexia, so I didn't know what to fear. I hate this new body. I hated my old one, too, but at least it felt like me. I knew who I was in it. The shame is palpable now, too, that I am more visible to the human eye, and that from looking at me, you might infer that I think I deserve to be alive. I don't. It's a visual lie. I hate new breasts, the thickening of my profile, even my fingers have bellies, the fading scars of self-harm. Most of all, I hate being seen and being touched. Oh, man. Sending you some love. That is a lot. You got a lot on your plate. Sending you a hug. And then uh, one more thing before we get to the interview. This is from the Love Survey filled out by CJ who writes, I love the way the softness of my very fat body conforms to the sharp edges of my boyfriend's very skinny body when we cuddle. I just wanted to get the fuck away from my life. You know, I, I couldn't have felt any lure. Grief, guilt, shame. Why wasn't I born a girl? There's a switch that gets flipped in my head. I'm supposed to be a girl. I experience being treated like an animal. How can a just God... I have a vomit fetish. Let humans do this to each other. Help! I fucking flew over the cuckoo's nest. My wife's losing it. I thought it was all about me. I don't know what to do. I would have committed suicide if I could have watched my funeral. A Polaroid I found of my mother um, naked in a dentist chair. And my body doesn't quite... I think I did eight days in L.A. County Jail. ...fit how I see myself. What was it all for? Why are my friends dead? Everything that I did, there's a comfort in the scars for me, was in service of OCD. You've already had all the paper cuts. Step away from the paper. It's really hard to see the picture when you're inside the frame. You know, it takes a larger view to see your life. Just actually have somebody listen to you. Yeah. And I got up and got my tooth and left. <laughs> left. I am here with Katie Osborne, who is a would you call a, an influencer? What, what would you? You kind of got TikTok I, famous recently. I hope not. <laughs> That's such a gross word, isn't it? It really is. It's such an awful yes. term. I don't. I don't know. I I talk about ADHD and depression and sex on TikTok, and apparently people like me. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a weird thing when the thing you want to come true starts to come true. It's it's not like you expected it to be. Actually, let's let's start there. Uh, how recently did your stuff start to to go viral? Oh you got gosh. like I don't know three hundred thousand TikTok followers. Something uh, like that. So so I right now I have about like a hundred and eighty, and then my partner uh, Eric, who is Hey Good on TikTok, uh, we uh, he together we have about three hundred thousand. So I got you. Yeah. Um, so what what was your intent when you started doing the recordings? Oh, my goodness. Um, honestly, it started with a pile of boxes. Uh, so basically, I had been on TikTok for almost a year. I had like 100 followers. Nobody cared. No one watched my videos. I downloaded it because my sister made me. Um, and then I... I made this video where I just, as a joke, there was a trend where this woman would get on and she would say things in my Japanese house that just make sense. And, and she just like show the cool things. And so I was like, 
my house looks like garbage all the time. And so I said, oh, that'd be, that'd be funny. And so I did a video and it was things in my ADHD house that just make sense. And so I, I went around my house and I showed like all my mess and my clutter and all my disorganization. And I showed this pile of boxes and people lost their minds because all of a sudden I had hundreds of people messaging me saying, I have a pile of boxes. I've always been so embarrassed about my pile of boxes. And you're the first person who's ever talked about the fact that they have a pile of boxes. And I was like, oh yeah, well, okay. And so then I started talking more about ADHD and and more about ADHD. And then people started listening more and it just kind of snowballed from there. And so, yeah, this has all kind of happened over the past, like, it was actually right around the start of the pandemic. So right around like six months. So, so I guess eight months now, gosh. It's, it's, it's interesting how sometimes the, the things that we push so hard for to happen in the universe uh, don't happen. And then we <laughs> let go and don't really care. And they're just our authentic selves and something happens that is a interesting surprise. Yeah. I mean, I have two master's degrees in Shakespeare, um, I, that was my, that was the thing I've, I, I'm a Shakespeare actor. Yes, like that is yes. my, my niche. That's my thing that I do. And, um, yeah, it was just so weird because like, you know, as, as I'm sure, you know, over the course of the pandemic, the performing arts disappeared. And so I was kind of like sitting in my house being sad and bored. And I was like, well, I, I guess I could make some TikToks and, and then, yeah. And then it just became I don't want to get too deep too early in the podcast, but it's it's just been such a, a really interesting phenomenon going from somebody who has always said words that are 400 years old. And like, mm-hmm. that is my thing. That is the thing that I'm good at. That is the thing that I've dedicated the majority of my life to is Shakespeare. And now people are listening to me and they're listening to my words and, and the things that I, and, and that is, that's been such a shift. That's been such just a, it's, it's, I'm I'm being myself in a way that like I've never been before and it's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. Yeah, the 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 good news and the bad news is you're being seen. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 really strange. It's it's wonderful and I'm so grateful, but it is very very strange sometimes. <laughs> so, you are you originally from Atlanta? You're based there I'm, now. I'm not. Um, so I grew up in the Midwest um, and uh, in the Quad Cities. Uh, huh? Yay. Bettendorf. Yes. Uh, yes, you know the Quad Cities. Oh, done st- yeah. stand up there many, many, many Oh, yeah. Times. It's got, there's a great stand up scene. I used to actually, I worked at um, Comedy Sports in the Establishment Theater for like a really long time. So, um, but yeah, so I, I grew up in the Quad Cities and then I moved to Virginia for grad school. Um, and then I came down to Atlanta because I got hired to run the Georgia Renaissance Festival. So I was the entertainment director at the Georgia Renaissance Festival. So I bet you there are more than a fair amount of listeners right now pumping their fist in the air going, <laughs> yeah, represent. Maybe. I don't know. I'm here on behalf of the nerds. Thank you for yeah. having me. Well, that's, that is a sizable percentage of the people that listen to the podcast. <laughs> the, the, the fringe, the people that feel like they don't fit in, uh, the people with quirks and interesting hobbies and... Yeah, so it's a it's a good fit. Uh, two degrees in Shakespeare. It, yeah. the, every part of my brain is saying, "Don't say out loud what a waste of money." 
It's listen, I was literally just about to say, because in this economy, why not? So it's fine. I would just, you would have just set me right up for it. So that's I was fine. a theater major. So l- yeah, look, you get it. You get I, it. I, I get it. You, it's, you doubled down. Yeah, I, I really did. Well, I tripled down because I got I also have like half of a Ph.D. And then I decided that enough was enough. So, But in all seriousness, you majored in what you love, which is the best investment that, that you can make. I majored in what I love and I'm a performer today. So it really, it wasn't, it wasn't a waste of money. We should pat ourselves on the back that we took the leap of faith that we were going to follow what our passion was and let fate decide whatever the fuck is going to happen. Yeah. I mean, uh, and it's weird because like my, my resume on paper makes absolutely no sense. Like it's the strangest, weirdest resume in the world. Like I I started off doing alter, like bridal alterations at like a wedding dress shop. And then I ran the marketing department of a casino in Bettendorf. And then I was like, worked for like Parks and Rec. Like it it doesn't make any sense. But the thing is, is like, the constant was always performance and the constant was always theater and it was always like entertaining. Um, And so then, but like along the way I picked up skills and then it's like, you know, 10 years later, it'd be like, Oh no, we need somebody to design the posters. And I'm like, one time I was a graphic designer, you know, like that kind of thing. And so it's weird that how following my passions, even like when I was working or doing a job that I absolutely hated, it, it feels like it's always been leading up to the thing where that moment makes sense um, and I I'm, totally and I'm, get that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm really grateful for that. And it, and it's been really cool winding up kind of being who I am, which sounds maybe very pretentious. Um, I, but I, I don't, I don't think at all. It's, you know, it's just like, you know, I, I, I know a lot about Shakespeare and I run a Renaissance festival and why I used to be a blacksmith and, and, and everyone's like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, okay, yeah. cool. Like that's just it. You know, I don't know. What? It's, when I have friends that are going through things that are difficult, one of the things I, I try to remind them and remind myself when I'm going through something difficult is there may be something in this experience that I will draw upon later and I can't see it right now. I don't get to be the architect of life, I but I do decide whether I'm going to be a happy or unhappy bricklayer. Yeah, I mean, and that that's super true Is is I've just... Yeah, I, I, I don't have anything to add to that. That was very smart yeah. and, and, and nice. <laughs> yeah. And actually, if I could rephrase it, I would say I get to decide what my attitude is as a bricklayer because I would not categorize myself as somebody who is happy. Happiness <laughs> is struggle. Peace peace is doable, but, but happy can be a struggle. You strike me as somebody who is uh, pretty happy and upbeat. Is that is that genuine with you? Oh no, that is a carefully crafted facade. But thank you for the compliment on my acting. Um, and thank you for your honesty. What's <laughs> what's underneath the mask? No, I mean, I uh, it's really interesting actually because I I've just started talking. I just started talking about this on um, publicly, but like I've had depression for as long as I can remember, like as long as I can remember. And I I could rattle off a lot of like really not fun statistics about the relationship between like ADHD and and eating disorders and and depression and and all of that stuff. Um, But honestly, for for the better part of my life, I have been unhappy um, and I have not wanted to be here a lot of the time. Um, And finding those moments, finding those moments of passion and and finding those moments of um, finding a reason to stick around uh, 
has been really important to me. And, and for a really long time, it was, it was Shakespeare. Um, and I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes it's, I need to get out of bed and make a TikTok. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, it's weird because I, I, I approach life with extreme positivity because I don't want people to feel the way that I feel all the time. Oh my God. Do I get that? I'm so afraid of bringing them down, bumming them yeah. out. So I and, say, I'm and, doing, I'm doing great. Yeah. And that's the thing is, is I, is people make fun of me for how often I say I'm, you know, I'm fine. I'm okay. And I'm like, I'm not, I, I haven't been okay for as long as I can remember, you know, what, what would you, if you could speak unfiltered without fear of being judged or, you know, quote unquote, bringing somebody down, what would you say when, when you're in it? I mean, so I, <laughs> Cool. That's a hard question. That's like you, just a hard doing, question. Katie? No, it's it's great. I'm fine. I'm awful. Thanks for asking. Um, no, I mean, and it's it's just it's weird because my my sort of baggage, my sort of the stuff that I deal with is like a it's like a Jenga tower because it's I have ADHD, which is a whole thing. I also have chronic depression which is a whole thing um but i also deal with an eating disorder and i also deal with chronic pain and so it is this sort of perfect storm of that's a lot it is it is a lot and and it's and it's one of those things where like i never feel good i never feel great i have never did you know this is a fun fact that i learned did you know that there are people who wake up in the morning and and they just get out of bed and they're like refreshed and ready to yes. start their day I that, they are martians to me i don't like i the fact that that is a true thing baffles me like good that, for them. that it, and good yeah for them. and i'm just like and i'm like if that's you like god god bless man but like i've never once woken up and been like time to start this day hooray you know um and yeah, like I spend a, a, I spend most of the time not okay, and and like I said earlier, like it's it's a very carefully crafted facade. It's it's a lot of learned behavior because I I care about the people around me and I, I care about the people that I interact with and I feel like being the person who is always in pain isn't very much fun, um, and being the person who is always sad. And, you know, you don't want to be the person that people worry about. And so I became the mom friend. And so I'm very good at taking care of other people. I'm exceptionally good at taking care of other people. Um, but I cannot take care of myself. Um, and so that's a that's actually a thing that I've been working on because of of this, all of this, all this whole thing, because I'm like, it feels really hypocritical to, you know, yell at teenagers on the internet to drink water when I haven't had any in three days, you know, so I'm trying to be better about it, but it's, yeah, it's a struggle every day. But, so, so yeah. if somebody were to ask you, how are you doing right now? And you felt like you could give an unfurnished answer, what would you say? I would say that today was a very good day and that was cool um but i'm i'm not okay i haven't oh puppy sorry oh, i got yeah. distracted by your somebody, dog somebody just rang your doorbell <laughs> no it's yeah. i mean i love dog like dogs bring me immense amount of joy so that's fine um no i mean i i just i'm not okay i haven't been okay in a long time you know and i don't i don't know if there is a i think there's like a a i don't know about you 
but I, I feel like I have a baseline of like livability and then like anything above that, you're like, Oh, what a good day. You know? Um, agree more. And, yeah. And so that's, that's kind of where, that's kind of where I live. I live in that like baseline of livability, but like, I know things could be better, but this is the loss that I have been dealt and I will appreciate it with gratitude and love in my heart. <laughs> what has it looked like at its darkest? Um, so, so I keep bringing up Eric, but uh, so Eric, who's my my partner on Infinite Quest, um, he's really into classical music. And I promise the story is going somewhere, um, but he's really into classical music. And that's something that like we, sh- we share together. Um, and I told him very sincerely, and I don't tell a lot of people this, so I guess I'm telling everybody this now, but um, I can quantifiably say that Beethoven's Ninth has saved my life three times. Um, and that's a weird way to put it. But I, I think because my background is in performance and my background is in making things for, to bring joy to people, um, things like music and, and performance mean a lot to me. And so like, yeah, there's, there's been a lot of times where I've, I've not wanted to be alive anymore. Um, and, and finding, like I said earlier, finding the reasons to be here, finding realizing that Beethoven's ninth will be here tomorrow. Like that's, that's gotten me through some dark times. Like what that's, is it about Beethoven's ninth? It's extraordinary. It's the fact that a man who couldn't hear the music that he was writing, wrote one of the most glorious pieces of evidence of humanity and, and, and the soul I think um, that exists. And, um, and I think that's really cool because i think that i think it's really cool she said like oh my god it's so cool um but i think it's it's a reminder it's a reminder that there is there is profound beauty in this world and there are profound moments of of joy and and happiness and intimacy and music and when you find those they're they're so worth being here for. And so I always say, I don't, I don't live for today. I hate that statement. I fucking hate that statement because it's like, you know what? Sometimes my todays are just the worst. Like some days I'm in horrific pain and I just want to die. Um, but I always say, I try and find a reason for tomorrow. And so I, that's the thing that I say to people. I say, Hey, thank you for tomorrow because some days like that is, that is why that makes any sense at all. That makes total sense. What is the, the source, if any, of the, that you can describe the chronic pain? Has it, has it um, been diagnosed? Yeah. Um, actually, I have. It's, it's kind of a weird... It involves performance, actually. Um, I was injured during a show. Um, I, there was uh, some faulty rigging in a show that I did. Um, and I fell about two stories onto my back. And I... Like, height of the proscenium, I guess. Proscenium arch. Wow. Um, and I fell and I hit my back and I hit my spine. And I hit... And they think I hit my head. Um, but I have a exceptionally rare neurological disorder. Uh, it's a movement disorder. It's called myoclonic dystonia, um, and it causes uncontrollable muscle spasms and twitching. Um, and it's good some days and worse some other days. Um, but yeah, like that was that was kind of the the tipping point of when things got really really wow. dark for a while. Yeah. Wow. So uh, that's intense. Yeah. Yeah. What, it's it's what, yeah. What are the muscles in the areas that spasm? 
Um, it's my, well, mine particularly, it's mostly around my, it's based in my back and my spine. Cause that's like where the most damage was. Um, but also, um, it always feels like I'm shoehorning this fact in when I bring this up. Um, but it's, it, it makes my hand stop working. Um, but I'm a, I'm a magician. So that's very inconvenient. Uh, so, so I, so I, I, fucked I, up. so I'm a, I'm a magician who does no card tricks because I cannot rely on the use of my hands. Um, and so, yeah, but I, but that's my, my dystonia primarily is in like my arms and my back. So. And when the hands go out, how long will they go out for? Well, the longest was one year, six months, 27 days, 18 hours, and about 12 minutes. Um, and then, you know, sometimes it's like 60 seconds. Just, it's just kind of a crapshoot. Holy fuck. Holy fuck. Three separate words. Ho <laughs> hyphen Lee. Fuck. Yeah. Yeah, it took, it was, it's, it's a thing. It's a thing. As you talk about that, what, if anything, do you think or feel? Honestly, a desperate desire to be believed, which is just, I think there's like trauma there. Um, But it's because it's, it's a super rare thing. And um, it took me a really long time to get diagnosed um, because, you know, most local family doctors are like, I don't know. Um, But I got told, like, I I had like a horrible experience, like with my, my like diagnosis story, Um, just generally all the way down. Every time I've ever needed a diagnosis, it's been a terrible experience. Um, Did any of them tell you that it's because you're a witch? Uh, nobody told me that it was a, I was a witch. Um, one person told me that I was too pretty to have a chronic illness. Oh, um, that was a God. real thing. I've been told multiple times that there's no possible way that I could have a chronic illness because I'm too pretty. Um, one, one particularly notable therapist told me that not only did he know that I was faking, he told me that I was a stupid, shallow little girl who was just seeking attention. And the fact that I was wasting his time like this was frankly disgusting because there were people that he could really be helping. So that was my first experience with therapy. (laughs) That person should not only have their license taken away, they should be beaten in the town square. He lost his license. I looked him up a few years ago and he he like wound up losing his license. And I was like, well, I don't even feel bad for you. But yeah, that was, uh, but yeah, so, so I don't know. I don't, I really don't like talking about it. And it's, it's funny that I'm talking about it with you now because I don't talk about it a lot because it's, it's really easy to edit out of a video. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's really easy to, to hide. It's, it's, it's sometimes it's not even that noticeable. Um, sometimes it is. And you're like, Oh God, cool. I see you watched the exorcist last night. Like how, how are you doing? Um, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know. It's, it's, I'm really self-conscious about it. I'm not going to lie. It's, mm-hmm. it's something that I'm, I don't know. It's just so, debilitating that I hate admitting that it's something that I deal with because it, it, right. it feels like admitting weakness. And I, I hate that. I want to be the person who takes care of people, not that needs taken care of. Which is the greater fear or greater pain, the inability to use your hands or the fear of judgment by people? Oh my God. That's like, a, that's a really good question. Um, Honestly, I, judgment, because like, 
they make special spoons, but they don't make nice people. <laughs> it's so disheartening. I'm so sorry. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's just, I don't, I don't like, I can adapt. I can, I, you know, I, I can, there are ways around, you know, I don't do card tricks. I read minds instead, you know? Um, but having to vulnerably look at somebody and be like, no, this is what I go through every single day. And you will never understand this. And you'll never understand this fear and you will never understand this pain. It's really hard because again, I hate, I hate being a downer. I hate being a downer and I work really hard to not be a downer, like, especially on, on TikTok and that kind of thing. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's, it's complex, I think, is the question, I, is the, what I would say. really appreciate you sharing that because it's something that I think so many people hide and yeah. feel alone and yeah. feel like a fraud. Um, last night in my Zoom support group, I had to lay down during the meeting. I said, I'm just so sad and depleted that yeah. I just... I'm I'm tired of pretending that I'm okay. Oh I don't God. want to take my life, but I'm not happy to be out of bed. I'm tired of this. I'm so exhausted by not being able to feel present, by having no vitality, by my to-do list feeling like Mount Everest. Yeah. You know, feel yeah. like my depression is just doing kung fu kicks. Yeah, it's it's overwhelming. It's, it's overwhelming. And, and it's, yeah, it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And it's so hard because there's such a stigma, which is why I appreciate what you do so much, you know, because like, yeah, I mean, that was, that was the whole reason I started talking about ADHD in the first place was because, you know, everybody is like, Oh, it's just, you know, kids can't pay attention in school. And I'm like, no, this profoundly affects my mental health. This profoundly affects my sex life. This like every facet of my life. Talk about it, that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, not, I don't want to say it's a fun fact. It's actually more of a very upsetting fact, but um, like there are a lot of like sexual dysfunctions and disorders that come along with ADHD. Um, and a lot of people struggle uh, just with like sexual relationships and, and that kind of thing um, just because of the nature of what ADHD is. Um, sorry, my phone is going off and that's embarrassing. Oh, um, it's okay. It's okay. Um, so as I started learning about ADHD and as I started um, learning to understand my own diagnosis and my own brain, um, I realized that there's, there, there's so much, there's so fucking, I, I get so angry about it because there's so much that they don't put in the brochure. There is so much that, that they don't put in the brochure and it's bullshit. You know, it's like, oh, it's this, this little kid disease for, for seven-year-olds. But it's like, no, did you know that like ADHD people are like four times more likely to be alcoholics? They're like 10 times more likely to develop depression. They're like 27% more likely to commit suicide. They're like four times more likely to have an eating disorder. Like it just, it just goes and goes and goes and goes. And the list of things and ways that it affects you and affects your brain and affects your life, it is it is insidious. It is insidious and it is, it is all encompassing. And, and so 
but I wanted to approach it with humor. I wanted to approach it with kindness. I wanted to approach it with humor. I wanted to be able to say like, Hey, you know what? Like I it's, it's okay. Like I, I'm, I'm here. I'm going through this same exact thing with you. I'm here. I see you. And that was, that was so important to me. Um, and, and that was, that was really the case, you know, like that, that was just what it came down to. So I'm, I just ADHD ranted at you. That's, that's, that's on brand. <laughs> not that was not a rant at all. That was uh, pretty illuminating. I've been doing this podcast for uh, 10 years and you shared some stuff that I had never heard before yeah. about ADHD. Yeah, I, I did not realize a lot of those things. So yeah, uh, it's, it's, there's, and there's a lot of new research that is just now, like a lot of it started like around like 2012, 2014 was when people started realizing that like, oh, there might be like some connections here. Um, you know, and especially like for me personally, like the, the, the eating disorder stuff was the stuff that like, I get kind of angry about because I was like, if somebody had looked at me when I was 16 and been like, Hey, just just FYI, you, you have this thing and you are so predisposed to addiction and eating disorders and, and treating yourself very poorly and unkindly. Maybe don't, maybe don't do this. Maybe don't start because you're never going to be able to, you're never going to be able to stop that. That would have been useful. I think so. I, I, I don't know. That's the hill that I will die on. Talk about, if you're comfortable, what it looks like when those things are really eating at you. Sorry to use that word. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, that was an incredible turn of phrase. Thank you. Um, I mean, I, I feel like it's, it's hard to quantify because it's something that I deal with every day. You know, like there's, there's never a day where I wake up and I go, well, guess I'm not scared of cheeseburgers today. You know, it's like every, every choice, every decision that I make is informed by the issues that I deal with. And now I, I fully admit that I, I have a lot more than a lot of people. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's kind of what I was talking about with just ADHD in general. Like it's all part of this how I live my life, you know, like, um, I'm trying to think of like a good example, but like nothing comes to except like, I don't buy ice cream. I like, I haven't bought ice cream in years because I can't keep it in the house. Cause I'll eat it and then I'll purge, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, just little things. It's like, just, it's, it's never like, Oh, my life is so hard and, and tragic. It's always like one, it's always like a, like a silly reminder is something like that. Or like my, my husband, Chris loves cake loves cake he's a cake guy and he'll bring home a cake and and every time he brings home a cake i have that like fear that he's gonna like go home or go to work you know or whatever and he'll come home and there won't be a cake and he will ask me where did the cake go and i'll have to be like i don't know then someone must have broken in and stolen the cake you know just dumb things like that where it's just just little parts of me that have become so so part of me that i don't even think about them until somebody goes that's weird that you're afraid of cake. Like, and then you're like, oh yeah, I guess, I guess I am afraid of cake. Like, you know, like that kind of thing. And so how does the ADHD relate to, to that? Um, I mean, for, for me, I, so I have combined, there's, there's three separate types of ADHD, not to 
woman splain to you. Um, but there's uh, hyperactive, inattentive, and combined. And so I have the combined type, which means that I get a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Um, and so for me, and, and this is actually like, they've started researching this a lot more, um, but it, it becomes kind of a vicious circle where people with ADHD, I'm just, I keep saying people with ADHD. I, I am the person with ADHD. <laughs> um, I struggle with organization. I struggle with keeping my house clean. I struggle with motivation. I struggle with executive dysfunction. I struggle with rejection, sensitive dysphoria, which is a whole other, I could talk for five hours about rejection, sensitive dysphoria. It's fine. Um, What's it called again? Rejection, what? Rejection, sensitive dysphoria. Um, It's a fairly like new term that they're starting to like learn a little bit more about in terms of like how it affects people with ADHD and other like, um, uh, like emotional disorders, like that kind of thing Mm -hmm. anyway. Um, but you know, like I, I look around and, and I, I see the mess, like I'm I'm not blind. I, I know that my house is a mess. I know that it's not organized. I know that, you know, I try hard to make it not dirty. Like that's, that's my thing is it's messy. It's not dirty, but sometimes it's dirty. Um, and, and then it just makes me feel awful because uh, what is wrong with me? What is wrong with me that I can't keep my dishes done? What is wrong with me that my house is messy? What is wrong with me that I've been, I've consistently missed my therapy for the past three weeks because I keep forgetting when it is like, what is wrong with me? And that, that internalized what is wrong with me has become such a part of who I am that I just, I, there's just always some, like, I know that now I know that what is wrong with me is that I have mental illness. I, there's, there's something chemically wrong in my brain, but it doesn't stop me from interpreting it as a moral failing. It doesn't stop me from internalizing it as something deeply and intrinsically broken and wrong with me. Um, And that's why you a hard worker being able to turn that into that. That's it's a go-getter I mean, attitude. It's just a go-getter attitude. I mean, and I say it all the time and people kind of tease me about it. How often I say like, you are not broken on, on TikTok and on the podcast and stuff. Uh, because like, you're, you're not, it's, it's not your fault. Like your brain is, is physically different than other brains, you know? And, and that, that feeling of, of brokenness and, 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 something being wrong like it just it just feeds into the depression it just feeds into everything else it just makes me not want to get out of bed even more because what's the fucking point why should i get the fuck out of bed my house is going to be dirty tomorrow probably dirtier than it was today because i'm going to be in it at least if i'm not in my house it might not get dirtier you know um and yeah so it 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 just kind of cycles and it and it gets to be a lot and then i eat a cake the one that, that and thank you for sharing that, by the way, uh, the one that gets to me is the sheets are stinky, but I don't have the energy to wash them. And so I'm just going to stay in bed. And every time inhale, I'm reminded of how fucking lazy and disgusting I am. Yep. Yeah. It's it just, it's just the little things, you know, it's just the little things like that or like the, I don't know, I've been looking at the same pile of dishes for like four days. And I'm like, I could take those downstairs. I'm not going to, but I could, you know, and you're just like, well, why not? Like what? Just take them downstairs. It's not that hard, you know? Um, 
And so I kind of, I kind of made a game out of it. Like on, on TikTok, I started doing these dumb things, uh, ADHD challenge. And so I was like, okay, here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to, we're going to go in our room. We're going to take all of our dishes and we're going to take them down to the sink. And then, and then people will duet me and they'll show me do it, them doing that. And they'll, they'll, you know, and they'll say things like, this was so helpful. Thank you. So, and I was like, oh, I wasn't doing it for you. I was doing that because I wasn't going to do it unless I made it into something that like for, you know, and it's just, oh, it's, it's, oh, it's just, it's so messy. It's just so messy in my brain all the time. It's just, it's exhausting. I don't know. You mentioned uh, in your email to me that kink was also an issue uh, that you like to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so one of the things, like I talked earlier about, uh, sex and ADHD and it's sort of become like my weird passion topic. Um, because what I found is that all of the brochures, all of the, the manuals, all the websites, there's like using air quotes. (laughs) It's like, it's really good to make like visual puns in a, in an audio medium. It's brilliant. Um, but all of the, the materials, I, should, I shouldn't say all, I should say most of the materials uh, geared towards ADHD are always like your seven-year-old male child. Uh, and then the, the vibe seems to be that once you turn like 16, 17, 18, a magical fairy comes and cures your ADHD and you needn't ever worry about it ever again and it will not affect you in any way. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay. First off, no, <laughs> just no. Um and so I started thinking about and, and getting really interested in, in the connection between ADHD and sex. Um, because if you think about it, there's a lot, right? Because if your brain is constantly overstimulated and constantly in need of that good, good serotonin and dopamine, sex can be very hard. It can be very hard. Um, and so, so uh, because, I mean, I the ceiling fan clicks, <laughs> you know, okay. it's, and, it, and it's that kind of thing. It's, it's where, where, and distractions. This is the thing. yeah, just distractions, um, you know, mindset, headspace, all of that kind of stuff. Um, it can be so much harder for people with ADHD because it can be so hard to focus. And, and, and then there's guilt attached to that as well, because you, you want, you want to be there with your partner. You want to have that intimacy. You want to share that moment with them but the ceiling fan is clicking and the air conditioner is running and your neighbors are mowing their lawn. And it's like, and because our brains don't have that filter, we don't have that, that, you know, like, okay, it's time, time to focus. It's just, you just can't, you just can't. And you want to so much. And then you just internalize it. Right. So that's like sort of, does does it make you angry that your partner can't see or hear those things at the same time? Or, or is that, I mean, I think that for some people, yes. Um, I think that like I've gotten good enough about communicating that like my partners understand, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the thing that I hear a lot is is from people who, like one partner has ADHD and the other person doesn't. And they're just like this all the time. And it's like, because you don't understand what it's like in this shit show inside of my brain. Um, but then there's the other the other way where another component of ADHD is hyper-focus. And so hyper-focus and impulsive decision-making. And that's actually more of my brand of ADHD. Um, And hyper-focus, particularly when you're talking about sex 
and then lack of impulse control and lack of emotional regulation can really set somebody up for danger and not like fun fun kinky danger like sexual assault and rape and that kind of thing because you are rushing into decisions because you you want the dopamine you want the hit you are hyper focused on the idea of like this is the thing that i'm going to do or in you know in conversation with kink you go too hard or you or you go too far or you do something just you don't want at all to do because you are you're just acting impulsively and, and you're a people pleaser because your whole life you've been told that you're broken and there's something wrong with you. And now somebody likes you and you want to do a good job and you want to please them. And, and it becomes this thing that happens. And, and so I get really heated up talking about it because that's all like, nobody's talking about it. Like I'm just some asshole on TikTok going, Hey, everybody, you know? Um, and, I, and I'm really passionate about it. Um, and as it happens, I'm, I'm a kinky person um, and I'm okay admitting that. Um, and part of that comes down to the fact that ADHD brains need a lot of stimulus and kink is a quick, easy, and, and occasionally pain-free way to, um, to get that extra stimulus like while you're you know, in conversation with sex. Um, and so as I sort of became more confident in my sexuality and sort of started figuring out like who I was and, you know, like what I was into and all of that stuff. Um, I realized that kink was sort of this perfect avenue of like, it's, it's free serotonin and it's free dopamine and it's free focus. It's, it's free focus. Um, and that is, that is something that I'm so grateful that I found. Cause I, I really do feel like it is one of the main reasons that I'm able to function in the way that I am is because I have an outlet and I have like a safe space and that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, that uh, got ranty. <laughs> not at all. Not at all. I'm, I'm glued to the, to the monitor. Uh, <laughs> was, was kink something that was on your radar or a part of your fantasy life before you began exploring it in person? Um, Okay. Uh, I shook my head. No, uh, but nobody knew that until I just said it out loud. Uh, but my answer is actually, yes. Um, it was, it was weird. It's weird because I, um, I, I, um, how do I say this? Like as a kid, you know, like I was around right around the birth of the internet. I was 11 when we got a computer. And so like, you know, I was the kid who was like figured out porn existed really early. Um, and so I was always kind of like aware of kink, but I wasn't aware of like how, how expansive it was, how, how many different things there were. Um, and then also just like uh, the different roles that you can fill in kink, like that mm -hmm. was all kind of new. Um, and so then when I started, um, getting more active in the kink community and in the kink scene, I started realizing like, Oh, there, there's a place for me. Like there's a place for me here. There, there are people who, who think like I do and they enjoy the same things I do and it's okay. Like, and that was, that was the coolest thing was I, I don't think I will ever forget my, like it is, it burned into my memory, the feeling of, of going to like a kink space for the first time and seeing all of these people who were people just like me, they were just people, they were just normal everyday people who were all just consensually doing things that they wanted to do with, to, and for each other. Um, 
and I was like, oh, it, it doesn't have to be a big deal. It doesn't have to be this huge grand to do. It can just be meeting somebody cool and trying something new and, and, and seeing each other and meeting each other on that level and respecting each other and, and kind of what you said earlier, being seen. And I, and I really remember feeling that feeling like I was being seen for the first time. Um, and I, I think that is, that was really cool. That was, and that was really important. I think that I had that experience when I did, um, because it was actually coming out of the the movement disorder stuff. It was like right when my movement disorder started getting a little bit better. Um, and so, yeah, so that was kind of like the, that was, if, if the movement disorder stuff was like the low part, mm-hmm. like that was kind of the, the part of the climb out from that, that valley. Talk if you would about uh, the components of trust and control and vulnerability and safety within uh, kink. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's so much um, to, there's so much to talk about. Um, But I think it it comes down to the fact that, and I'm, I'm only going to speak to my own experience because I don't want to speak for the group. Um, But for me, kind of what I said earlier is like, I have a lot of noise in my head all all the time. Um, And so being able to look at a partner and say, I'm, I'm trusting you with myself. I'm, I'm trusting you that you are, are going to see me, that you are going to hear me, that you are going to treat me respectfully and that you understand that by asking this, this at like asking like, and I, I don't, I don't want to get too graphic with it, but like asking someone to anything, it doesn't even matter what it is, but asking someone to like do a thing to you is such a vulnerable ask because the answer could be no. The answer could always be like, no, or the answer could be you gross. No, or right. what the fuck is wrong with it's you? No revealing your core. Yeah. There, and, there and, is no bigger door to you mm-hmm. that you're opening, at least in terms of fear of doing it. Yeah, than, exactly. Than that. Yeah. And, and so when I was first starting out and, and I feel like I have to say this because otherwise stuff I'm not going to, I'm going to say later on won't make any sense, but I'm a switch. So sometimes I'm a top, sometimes I'm a bottom. Like right. that's and by the way, ha- you don't have to censor yourself for this. Um, it's, it's this podcast. We talk about everything. So whatever you are comfortable talking about, we are comfortable hearing. No worries. I was just like, I'm just like, but the children, um, but yeah, so I mean, so I mean, I, I, I dom and I sub basically. Right. Um, and so, but when I first started out, like I was, I primarily identified as a submissive. And that was because for the first time in my life, I found an avenue where I didn't have to think. I didn't have to do the thinking. I could just be. And I could that be That makes seen, sense. That sounds very right? freeing. It It is like, and it is, and it, and it's one of those things where I'm not like a come join my kinky cult. Um, but it, but it's one of those things where I, I am very vocal about the fact that kink has such a stigma, but for so many people, kink is an, is a really important outlet and facet of mental health. People use kink 
to work through trauma. They, they use kink to work through issues of control and bodily autonomy and they, and they use it to turn off their brain or, or turn on their brain or whatever they need. And there's, and there's so many different ways of play. There's so many different formats of play um, that, it just, you, you just keep learning about yourself. Like, I don't think there's ever been a time where I've gotten done with a scene and I haven't learned something new about myself and my body. And I think that's really important as well, because I have such a terrible relationship with my body. Like, are are you comfortable sharing some of the things that you've learned? Yeah. Um, I mean, first off, I've learned that having profound and excessive nerve damage makes you a very impressive heavy impact bottom. Uh, because let me tell you what, I can, I can draw a crowd. Uh, <laughs> like, I was like, look, it's, it's pretty fun. Um, because people are like, oh my God, is she okay? And he's like, yeah, she can't feel it. Like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Um, but you know, I've, I've learned that I, it is, on the rare occasions where my mind does go quiet, I realize that like there is still a me there because sometimes all I feel like is my mess. Sometimes all I feel like is my noise. Sometimes all I feel like is all the fucked up failings and, and parts of me that are just not great. What you're um, not rather than what you are. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so realizing that in those quiet spaces and in those quiet moments that there is a there is a Katie. There is a Katie there and she cares about people and she loves deeply and she still really likes Shakespeare and classical music and you know, she she exists. And I think that's really cool because it, it took me a long time to find her. Um, and it's weird that she, I found her that way, you know? Um, but then also like, sometimes there's just like weird shit where it turns out that like, there's a very specific way that I can stop my twitches from happening and involves like throwing a couple elbows, but like, I just learned about my body because like, I've, I've been so separate from my body for so long because I live in my head. I live completely in my head and because of like the eating disorder and the ADHD and the, that and that, and the other thing and the other thing, like I've learned to like resent this. I've learned to resent all of this that I am. And so then being able to use that for my body as a gesture again in your audio podcast. Um, But being able to use that, to make myself feel good, to make someone else feel good, um, to learn that my body can do things that I didn't know it could do, to know that like my body can be safe. And sometimes like, and honestly to learn that like, sometimes I, I don't hurt. And that's, that's weird. That's it. Like when you are in a constant sort of baseline of like uncomfortability at best and, and pain, you know, it's really weird to have someone interact with you in a way to where like, even just for a couple of moments, your pain stops. And that is a level of trust. And that is a level of intimacy. And that is a level of giving yourself up to somebody that is, is, I don't even know if I have the right words to articulate how powerful that is. Right. Because it, it's it's just it's it's a revelation, you is know. It, it, 
not to be over dramatic, but no, it's, you're not it's being just, dramatic yeah. at all. This is this is all very very said the two theater majors in the Zoom chat. <laughs> <laughs> is it kind of like um, you know that exercise when you're doing a sleepover where you fall and people catch you? <laughs> is there kind of an element to that where you just surrender and and being met by somebody's care and respect for your boundaries that, that you, yeah. I mean, I think, yeah. I mean, it's funny because I have a lot of like falling trauma. So I went, no, it's not like that at all. (laughs) Um, But the, but yeah, I mean uh, that the, the giving up of control is, is I hate the word control because it, it feels so like stereotypically kinky and like, I'm not a stereotypical kinky person like like the the leather and the chains like doesn't do it for me like it's it's not about that you know and there's a lot of cringy kink content on tiktok so i'm always like oh god somebody from kink talk's gonna hear this (laughs) you know um but but yeah i mean the control or whatever you want to call it being able to look at somebody and say i trust you enough to take charge or to let me take charge because that's the other thing. It's like, and that's the thing that I've sort of come into as I've gotten older is the fact that like, I also do like to top. Um, and, and that comes down to like, I don't like a lot of my, my body. I don't like my relationship with my body, but my body can help your body to get to a place that my body knows is good. Um, and I think that is, that's kind of a cool gift Gift seems like a weird word to use, but it's the one I'm going to choose. So has there, what were you surprised or pleased by when you were the one who was given power? Was, was there um, a turn on to that? Was there like an adrenaline rush? Um, I don't know. Just don't let me put words in in your your mouth. Just kind of uh, describe it for me. If I think from, yeah, I think for me, oh gosh, that's such a good question. Um, I think for me, it was a combination of the fact that like, I, like, I really wasn't sure. Like I was like, I was literally doing it as a favor to a friend. Like I was like, well, okay. Like you don't have like, and I'm like, I know what I'm doing. So like, okay, fine. You know? Um, and then my brain kind of went to that place of, oh, you know what it's like to be in their shoes and in their place and you know how you want to be treated and you know how, you know, what works for you and and that kind of thing. And so I had a a sort of baseline to start from. And obviously there's, you know, negotiation and consent and communication and all that stuff, obviously. Um, But having, having that moment of like, this is a thing that I can do for somebody that I care about. This is something that I can, I can, I can help, I can help someone feel the way that I want to. That's, it's really rewarding, I guess. Like it's, it's a funny way of putting it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's rewarding and, and it's kind of sexy, you know? Cause you're like, well, yeah, like I'm in charge now. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to share or talk about before we wrap up? Oh my God. Can I shamelessly plug my podcast? Is that okay? Of course. Yeah. One of the things I was going to ask you is uh, (laughs) your social media handles where people can find you, all of that stuff. So you can find me. uh, I'm on TikTok. I'm Katieosaurus. It's Katie with a C. Osaurus. And I'm also on Instagram, Katieosaurus. But all I post is like 
pictures of food. Don't get excited about my Instagram. Um, but the big thing is that uh, me and my very good friend, Eric, uh, who I actually met on TikTok, he's another mental health uh, uh educator over on tiktok we started a podcast uh, it's called katie and eric's infinite quest an adhd adventure um it's available wherever you listen to podcasts um and we talk a lot about adhd we talk a lot about you know being adults living in the world with mental illness we also play a lot of dungeons and dragons if you're into that we have very special dungeons and dragons episodes um and that that's it that's all i can think of <laughs> well, terrible at self-promotion you did a fine job and <laughs> and you I really enjoyed talking to you and uh getting to visit the the inner world that that you experience. I relate to a lot of it, and even the things that I don't relate to, I know there will be listeners who will feel like somebody saw them and yeah. and they will feel comfort in that so so thank you. For that thanks. and thanks for being such a great advocate <laughs> thank you so much i mean i said it once i said it again like no one is ever alone and i will believe that until the day i die is that no one is ever alone and as as much as you might think so there's somebody else out there experiencing the same thing as you you just gotta look for them and when you find them it's a great feeling so thank you so much for having me this was such an honor i cannot tell you what it means to me so thank you so much my pleasure yeah, that, that was really nice getting to know her. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive. A must-read for anyone in medicine, from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com breath. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Uh, let's just, let's dive into some surveys. Is that out of the question to do that? Would that be taking you by surprise? Would that be rude? This is from the love survey filled out by Simple Twist of Fate. I love going for walks to nowhere in particular. My dog's sweet nature. My partner's hands. Men's jackets with patches on the elbows. Women trading compliments in bar bathrooms. When someone clicks with you and you both feel it. 
The smell of coffee and cinnamon rolls in the morning. Oh, I like that one. Talking late into the night with good, funny people losing track of time. Oh, those are awesome. Thank you for those. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a uh, guy who uh, calls himself I hate myself. Blogspot. Um, he identifies as queer. He's in his 20s. Says he was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. He was the victim of sexual abuse but never reported it. And some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. Uh, he writes, I don't know if I was sexually abused or not. I always feel the need to say that first. I have the feeling that something happens. Uh, I think he means happened. But I don't know what, and I do not remember. I've had what I would call body flashbacks, body reactions accompanied with a sense of fear and a freezing of my body. I do have this memory of me riding my bike, or was I walking, down the sidewalk in a car pulling up at the side of the road. As a child, uh, and that is all the memory consists of, other than a vague sense of danger and a vague sense that doesn't feel exactly like a memory, but like a reenactment or something, which is someone in the car beckoning me from the car. There is so much more in my mind about this question, and it feels so fucked up to not know what happened or if anything happened. And I feel guilt because if I was actually never sexually abused, then I feel I am taking something away from actual survivors of sexual abuse by being so confused. You are not. Trauma and trauma, trauma and pain are just that. Trauma and pain is not a contest. And whatever the source of these body reactions you're having, the discomfort, what, whatever, it's worth exploring with a therapist. You know, if you went out your front door and started going around comparing what happened to you to other people, that would be a, that would, that would, first of all, be a really unkind thing to do for yourself. But, um, anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked. Um, there is also this strong memory that I know is real of seeing my aunt's friend through the window. He showed up to our house and I was on the stairs inside and could see him through the window as my aunt stopped him and was yelling at him. For some reason, I've associated this memory as related to sexual abuse. Later, I found out that my younger cousin had said that that man had sexually abused him. Um... Sorry, I lost. Uh, sometimes I experience a sense of being put into a box or into a closet, a sense that feels, again, like a reenactment of a memory that feels related to sexual abuse. As I am writing this and thinking of this, I'm experiencing some physical reactions, sudden, intense, shuddering jolts, and a reaction to move my hand over my mouth to cover my mouth. The covering of my mouth feels comforting. In a flash image of me as a child and an adult putting their hand over my mouth. It feels potentially like someone trying to protect me by keeping me quiet, but I do not really know for sure. I don't know if any of this matters or makes sense. It does make sense and it does matter. There is more, but it is all very vague and it all boils down to the fact that I do not know what happened. I've told therapists about this stuff sometimes, and only one of them ever dealt with it in a way that felt helpful to me. I feel like going to a therapist for the express purpose 
to deal with the sexual abuse when I don't even know if anything happened uh, would be too emotionally risky. I fear they will just tell me they have real survivors to help and that I am just trying to get their attention or something like that. Any decent therapist would never tell somebody that. And there are therapists um, who are experienced in repressed memories. And I think that would be a great thing to investigate. And, oh, what you are experiencing is sadly really common. And, you know, it you, you get all the trauma of being sexually abused without the clarity of knowing what, what really happened. And it's an extra hurdle in recovering. Darkest thoughts. Sometimes when I masturbate, images of my mom come into my head. If I try to imagine a woman in a fantasy, then my mom's face will be implanted onto that woman's face. This doesn't turn me on, and it ruins the masturbation for me. I've seen my mom naked and sometimes cannot get that out of my mind. Also, I think about having sex with underage girls, 15, 16, 17 years old. Darkest secrets. I've been emotionally abusive to women I have dated. There are other things, but I don't feel comfortable sharing them at this time. And then he um, quit the survey at that at that point. But I appreciate what you did what you did share with us, and I'm sorry that you're that you're going through that. This is from the Love Survey, uh, filled out by Emerald, the Shining Star, and they write, I love lyrics. They let me feel deeper and stronger about things I would have never thought about. I love that I am alive to learn and grow. I love that my brain wants to learn more about other brains and how they work. I love that I am capable of helping others and do. That's, that, that is my favorite Type of thing to to read is if someone's turning a corner and they're getting their legs underneath them, starting to progress, starting to heal, hopes returning. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Sassy. She identifies as straight. She's in her 20s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, but she has been physically and emotionally abused by, by both of her parents. Deepest, darkest thoughts. I once saw a bottle of iodine in our bathroom cabinet. I didn't know what it did, but I noticed it had a picture of skull and crossbones on it. We all know what that means. I debated putting a few drops into my father's beer when I was a child. I thought it might be easier for me if, oh, uh, and then this is a separate one. I thought it might be easier for me if my husband would die in an accident than me killing myself. Darkest secrets. I found the love of my life and moved out of my dysfunctional home. I finally felt free. And for the first time in my life, happiness. Earlier into the relationship, I discovered I had herpes. I told him to get tested in case he had it too. He told me his test results came back negative. I gave him the choice to leave, considering I was the only one with it. He decided I was worth it, and a year later, we were married. Three years into our relationship, the truth came out that his results actually came back positive. I had a feeling all along he had given this to me. But for three years since my diagnosis, I cried alone, felt guilt, shame, worthlessness. 
He was my only light in those moments, in the times when I felt too overwhelmed. I had to share what was going through, that I was going through with someone, and he was the only person who knew. I would always keep my feelings to myself about my outbreaks because I felt as though I caused this to happen, to be so, uh, to be so I should have to suffer it alone. I am still married to him, although I wish I wasn't. Here I am, trapped, like I am a child. This time I don't feel like there is anything that can get me out of this. I think talking to a therapist or getting into a support group would be a good thing because one of the things when when we feel trapped and overwhelmed by a situation or an illness or a combination of all the above is we just retreat like a wounded dog into the corner and lick our wounds and just wish for things to be different and sadly that doesn't move the ball forward and what we have to do is we have to take action because as they say if nothing changes nothing changes sexual fantasy is most powerful to you rape and kidnap I know I'm not alone, but I'd probably never say that out, out loud to anyone. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I forgive you. I don't know how, because forgiveness, no matter how hard I've tried, feels like you are letting someone get away with hurting you. I understand that that feeling, but you know, I've heard I've heard the saying that. Resenting someone is like taking poison and expecting them to die. Um, it's forgiving someone, I think, rather than it being something that we should attempt to do, I think we should take care of ourselves, heal ourselves, and then hopefully forgiveness comes as a byproduct of that. That's what I have experienced. And anybody that tells you you need to forgive that person, tell them to go fuck themselves, you know? Everybody's got their own route. What, if anything, do you wish for? A time machine. I'd rather start my entire life over. Have you shared these things with others? I'm used to people not taking anything I say seriously. Well, I think if you found a support group, you would find people who take what you say seriously. And I think you would feel a part of something bigger than yourself and it would help you. How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel like you're still going to find me. I feel like my secret's out. I've always wanted to at least put what my husband did to me out in the universe just to see if anyone could help me. I could never articulate what it has done to me. I feel like I'm wasting your time. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. You guys go so deep, man. I'm so grateful for the the stuff that you excavate from your soul and your past and in your brain <clears throat> it's helped me and i know it helps people who listen to this podcast this is from the love survey filled out by ian and he writes i personally love how far i've come in my life right now there's shit all around me in my life but because of the immense amount of work i've done over my life in therapy and medical treatment treatments and who I am, I am much more resilient through it all um, than I ever would have been before. I love that I've done this for me, me being a disabled medical anomaly with a diagnosis created specifically for me because I'm so whacked at 28. It isn't easy. Thank you, man. High five. 
High fucking five. This is from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by um, an agender person who identifies as pansexual. They're in their 20s from a, they say, a slightly dysfunctional environment. I would call it a lot more than that. Uh, They call themselves queer, full of fear, and in love with the final frontier. Oh, I love your guys' names. Uh, They say that they've never been physically abused or emotionally abused. And say, I don't know if it's fair to say that I was emotionally abused since I didn't spend that much time around my stepmother every other weekend when I was a kid. That's a lot of time around somebody. But all throughout my childhood, she made me feel unwelcomed, unwanted, and shameful about myself. I've never felt like a person to her or my father, really, but I think I barely exist in his eyes. That is emotional abuse. Right out of the gate. If I didn't read anything more, neglect is a form of abuse. My childhood involved her constantly criticizing my body, mostly concerning my refusal to dress feminine and refusing to acknowledge that I am a person with my own life and interests, except when she wanted to tease me about them. There was never any name-calling or yelling or any of that but her, quote, jokes that clearly weren't jokes. And the time she went out of her way to embarrass me in front of the rest of my family made it clear that I wasn't welcome there. I'm also the most susceptible person in the universe to guilt trips because of her, and I'm still learning, even now, how to say no and hold to it. I've never said anything aloud out loud to either my stepmom or dad about my issues with mental illness because she always criticized me any time I showed any signs of my anxiety, depression, or ADHD. Now she mostly gives me the cold shoulder and pretends I'm not there except for when it would look weird to others for us not to interact. I have memory problems because of my ADHD, so it's really easy for me to get into a place where I convince myself that I've just made everything up. Mostly, I feel like it really doesn't count. I can recognize a lot of the signs of emotional abuse and the way she treated me, but it was few and far between enough to make calling it that feel not legitimate. And I can't help, I got lost in in a sea of double negatives there. Um, And I can't help but feel an immense amount of guilt for pulling away from her and my dad, even though I know it's what I need to do to be a healthier person. It doesn't help that they make comments all the time about how I should contact them more. Isn't that funny? The the abuser that guilts somebody into not having more contact. They're they're so oblivious to the harm they, they cause that they just... Or is it their ego? I don't know, but... um, My childhood was essentially a situation with me putting all the effort into the relationship and none from them, only for them to get angry with me for deciding that it wasn't right for me as a child to practically beg my parents to care about me. I think one of the most heartbreaking things to me is that my father has seen what she does and has never said anything about it. I shouldn't be surprised since he only ever really acknowledged my existence when he could pretend I was another one of his sons. When he's away from her, we actually get along okay, but when he's near her, it's like she brings out the worst of his cowardice and neglect. I love him, but I don't know if I can forgive him for not standing up for me when I needed it most. And in parentheses, I was being viciously 
bullied in school at the time, but I never confided in him about it because I didn't feel like he'd care. But since I do actually care about him, I still feel guilty for pulling away from him because I know we could be close and things could be good. I don't know how to do what's best for my mental health and not feel like a bad child. That is such an important sentence that you just put right there. And that is the crux of so many people's struggle. How do you get through the guilt to detach yourself from toxic people? And in my opinion, we need help, whether it's a therapist or a support group or a trusted circle of friends who are healthy and have some recovery under their belt. Um, It will be the most important thing probably that you do in your life is to stand up for yourself and to cut people out of your life that are not healthy for you. I think he's genuine about his want to be closer and make up for the neglect he showed me in childhood, but I'm still trying to get over knowing that he was capable of that love when I was a child. He's very close and loving with my brothers, but choosing not to act on it with me. I just wish I could get my feelings to line up with the things I know to be factual and true and logical. I wish I didn't feel guilty and wrong for choosing my own health and happiness over those of people that don't really care about me. That is such... What you, what you wrote is so, so incredibly important, and especially today in uh, the world of people that <clears throat> are agender or trans or don't fit into the, the binary def- definition of what mainstream society views as valid. Um, and so I wanted to, to, to read all of that. Um, Yeah, it really, I don't, I guess I don't have words. Um, And I also want to read sexual fantasies um, because yours is so beautiful. Uh, You write, I just want someone to be the most gentle with me and to look at me while we're together in love and see love in their eyes. The most powerful idea to me is someone who is concerned with what I want and allows me to be concerned about what they want without feeling like we're talking too much. Also, the idea of being able to laugh during sex is wonderful to me. I'm a fucking sap, and I'm not even a little bit ashamed about it. I don't think it's sappy to, to uh, what you what you wrote. I think, man, if you can get to a place where you have a partner like that, and I have to say, I feel like I am one of those people, and it's it, it has been worth all of the support groups, all of the therapy. And um, yeah, laughing during sex is, it's good. What if anything would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell my oldest brother that I'm the proudest person in the world of him for deciding to be more mature than my father and care for his children the way they should be cared about rather than being concerned about alcohol and partying with his friends. I can't tell him this because he would probably laugh at me for it, but also be mad that I think our father is immature since the two of them are very close. I will probably do it one day when I'm braver. Thank you for that. This is from the Love Survey, filled out by Topanga. And they write, I love the feeling of a new toothbrush. I love when my friends let me drive their car. I love my wax melt 
that fills the whole house with sweet scents, only to trick my husband into thinking I actually baked something. Oh, and I love Corey. I love all of those except Corey. I fucking hate Corey. Corey is dead to me. In fact, I want that on my grave. Corey is dead to me. And I want me underlined in nine exclamation points. Darkest. Oh, this is a different survey. This is, um, this one is from the Shame and Secret survey. And it's just, um, an excerpt from it. And this is filled out by an agender person, um, who calls themselves bald head, hairy ass. They are 18, identify as bisexual, and were raised in a pretty dysfunctional household. Uh, Darkest thoughts. I think about pedophilia a lot. I'm not attracted to children at all, but I sometimes put myself in a pedophile's shoes. I try to imagine what they would think of or feel when around a kid. It got to the point where I can't look at kids because I'm terrified that people would see me and think I was a creep. Darkest secrets. A man once asked me to convince his daughter to have sex with him. Yeah, you did not hear that incorrectly. A man once asked me to convince his daughter to have sex with him. I never did it, but I'm so ashamed I didn't turn him in. That is not on you. That is not on you, man. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I can't enjoy any porn that isn't abhorrent. Incest, rape, drugged, etc. I have to draw the line at snuff. I feel like I can't be that awful of a person if I don't come to the thought of dead people. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. And what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I want to tell my mom that she is the reason I struggle in life. She can't admit it to herself, but I need her to. She needs to admit she fucked up. The way I know, it's not my fault. That way, I know it's not my fault. She would tell me frequently that she would have killed herself if she didn't have kids, so I know it would hurt her to know how fucking badly I want to kill myself. First of all, uh, I'm sorry that you're that you are in pain, and <clears throat> you know the good news is, is that you're 18, and if you have the ability to distance yourself from your family, then that might be an option. And your mom may never admit to herself or out loud what she did. And I have the feeling if you process all this stuff that you've gone through and you're feeling presently you might get to a place where you cannot care that your mom doesn't own what she did. It's a possibility, and I think it's worth working on. Thank you for sharing that. And then finally, this is from the Love Survey. This is filled out by (laughs) the Wasp's Nipples. And they write, I love... How cold my cans of seltzer water get when I leave them in my car overnight in autumn. I love the strange warm smell of the industrial wax I use at work when it melts. I love when it rains all day long, from the moment I wake up before sunrise and all through the night until the next morning. This happened on my birthday last month and made me optimistic for the coming year. 
And the last one, I love my stupid, stubborn, broken heart, impossibly resilient and insisting on endlessly pumping me full of love and life, no matter how much pain it goes through. What a great one to end on. Thank you, guys. Thank you for all that you contribute to this podcast. And um, <clears throat> it just means, it means so much to me. And um, if you're out there and you're, and you're feeling stuck, you're feeling alone. You, you are not alone. It's your brain lying to you. And uh, yeah, this is now more than ever, we need to be nice to ourselves. And um, just know that you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.